The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey guys, welcome to the Capital Stack. This is David Paul. Today I am interviewing Todd Davis, the founder and executive chairman of LifeLock, who he took public in 2012, and now is the executive chairman of Cadenwood, which is a uh, conglomerate of consumer CBD brands. Uh, and you sit on about 11 boards today. Isn't that right, Todd? That's right, David. You, uh, you kind of suck at retirement. I'm failing miserably, as my wife reminds me of. <laughs> and you, you tried, right? Like you put a God's I, honest effort into trying. I really did. I, for the first year, I tried to tell everybody, I'm just saying, no, I got to figure out what it's like not to be a public company CEO. You know, but then you got friends and, I, oh, I like that person. I like that, you know, leader. And next thing I know, and then Civic, you feel like you ought to get back. And next thing I know, I'm super busy again. And you're playing a lot of golf still or no? Well, I started, I got down to, you know, nine point something first time in my life. And, but now I'm back up to a 14. I don't, for retired, I don't play nearly enough. I'm lucky to get in once a week. Okay. And then you're practicing it all? Yeah, a little bit. I got a golf simulator, so I can't make too much of an excuse uh, in the house. So I should practice more. I will say we do do our cabin up in the summer. So I get to play a lot more in the summer, but mm -hmm. Up and right flag. now, we should be playing when it's beautiful. It's in uh, Pine Top. Oh, okay. In the nice. Area. But just to be clear, David, like today would be a perfect day for golf. If I got some guy who wants me to do a podcast, I don't know. And so I couldn't. <laughs> well, yeah, you put on a collared shirt. You know, I was still, yeah. you know, I was doing my, my, my research, you know, which I have to do for these things or else I just kind of stall out. And I was like watching old Mad Money episodes with you in it. <laughs> Yeah, wearing a tie. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this guy oh, yeah. totally does not want to be doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. But for you, I will do it. For all you. right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I'm, I'm all my audience ship is almost that of Jim Cramer. So, you know, I, th I think it'll be good for your career to to definitely listen to my show. I got potential. This is going to yeah. be potential. Exactly. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit about young Todd Davis. Yeah, sure. So you hear a little bit of Texas twang and Georgia drawl. So born in Georgia, you know, really though formative years were Texas in the Dallas area. Uh, so I went to a place called Plano Senior High, went down to University of Texas at Austin and thought, you know, I don't know, I guess I'll get a real estate finance. That sounds like something you can get a job doing, have a career at. Wasn't necessarily a passion. Um, but Re fraternity? Right Re fraternity? Uh, no. No, I'm not good at taking orders, so I would not have done well as a pledge. Um, so then, though, read about the entrepreneurship program at Baylor, which way back when I was in college, right? So in the late 80s uh, kind of thing, uh, that was new. You couldn't get an entrepreneurship degree in many places. And so Baylor had it. I read about it. I'm like, oh, that's that is definitely what I want to go do. That really started 
you know, the bug about being a entrepreneur, it really gave me a whole lesson and, you know, writing all these business plans, helping out, helping my entrepreneurship professor was my first job. They hired me and told me I didn't have to come to class anymore. That exposure was incredible. And it, you know, launched me. I've started multiple companies. Almost every job I've ever started, though, David, I had no experience at beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I've done wastewater treatment, computer sales, sports marketing, identity theft protection, consumer packaged goods of CBD. Yeah, none of those nice. I had any experience yeah. at whatsoever. It's kind of like mine. I was like a scuba diving instructor, a bartender. <laughs> I ran like an old folks home. <laughs> you know, I sold pot, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, just entrepreneurial work. Yeah. There's always this kind of adage that I think a lot of people talk about and like how much of entrepreneurship and being a successful entrepreneur could you learn versus, you know, being taught? A lot you can learn. I think the only instinctual things that have to be present is one, you cannot let your insecurity get the better of you. So you have to be comfortable enough in your own skin. And what I mean by that is we all know these people who either you know, it's my way or the highway. I'm the boss. This is the strategy, no matter what, right? Bang the table. That, those people can't take criticism. They're too thin-skinned. It's You're falling prey to your own insecurity because you can't handle being challenged. Or it's by consensus. Do we all agree this is what we're going to go do? What should be the plan? You know, does everybody agree? Well, that's not a good strategy either. What you want to be able to do that has to become natural is know you're not the smartest person in the room all the time. And in fact, comfortable enough to surround yourself with people who hopefully have more experience and are smarter than you. Take the input, but then be willing to make the decision, right? Be okay. And, you know, I'm compromised. You can change my mind some, but now, okay, here's the decision. And if I'm wrong, I take full responsibility. Now, if I'm right, I'll turn the spotlight on you guys. But that's, you know, people with insecurity don't want to accept blame when it's a problem or want to take the credit when things go well, it's got to be the opposite. The only way to be a great entrepreneurial leader is you have to be able to keep that insecurity in check, which then in turn, the only other quality is you've got to be perseverance. I mean, the stuff you will, the challenges you will face, the the moments where you thought it's, is it all about to fall apart? I mean, everyone looks at LifeLock, right, David, and thinks, oh, well, you started this company, you took it public, you sold it for $2.3 billion. I mean, you're right place, right time. Look, we stared death in the face probably eight to 10 times through the yeah. LifeLock story. Yeah, how many times did you almost miss payroll? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and in fact, early on, we were actually pretty good at it. And then as you grow, we almost grew ourselves to death. Literally, we had to do you know, a, a fundraiser or like, oh, hey, in like 90 days, we, we're out of money. <laughs> right, because we're going so fast. Right. right, trying to buy companies, trying to fight with regulators, trying to—I mean—so there are so many times in that process that it wasn't obvious this was going to be a great success. It wasn't obvious what the outcome was going to be. And I used to uh, joke on a couple of different times, but literally, I thought, okay, today I just want to advance things an inch. It doesn't have to be. 10 yards. I don't have to get the first down today, but I've got to move against the goal, right? Whatever the mission was, whatever that objective was, I got to advance today or I'm just, it's breaking my spirit. 
mm-hmm. right? So all these people who will tell you, I love going to work every day and I can't wait, bullshit. Right. It's hard sometimes. There's times like uh, you're like, have I just hit a wall? Is this going to be it? It's manic depressive. It's either super high or super oh. low, right? There's never, I right. mean, if, you're, if, if things are status quo, you're probably not doing it right. Correct. And literally there have been those moments where I'm, you know, hours earlier, I'm like, if we don't pull this together, you know, this could be catastrophic. <laughs> and then hours later, you're like, we did it. We're the greatest leadership team yeah. on the planet. There's nothing we can't do. <laughs> Very bipolar. So, so who taught you, who taught you? I mean, if it's not a learned skill through academia, who taught you the importance of being secure in your own skin, being able to not be the smartest person in the room, to, that it's going to be okay on the other side to be wrong. Who kind of instilled that into you? Uh, well, luckily, I got several good mentors. And by the way, I wasn't that person to start with. So please right. don't get me wrong. One of the reasons I knew it is because I wanted to take credit for stuff. And I was too selfish. and I was too insecure. And mm-hmm. you know those kind of things, right? And I talked about me and I and all this kind of stuff. So please don't think, I kind of tell my kids, don't look at me now and think I didn't have the same challenges and mistakes that you're going to make. It looks easier now from our home and office and me being retired. I made plenty of mistakes, but I was lucky. I had great mentors and I was at least confident enough to ask them for that mentorship. Right. And so that was incredibly helpful. You know, things like little stuff. When I worked at Dell Computer, I was this, you know, young, aggressive sales, corporate sales kind of guy. And all the other guys were married and had families. I'm like, I'm going to outwork all you bastards. You know, you may be smarter than me. You may be better, but I'm going to outwork all of you. And then I saved this account that we were going to lose this big old account. And my mentor pulled me in and said, so listen, you get a lot of accolades. That's cool that you saved that. You don't want to be the reputation of the fireman. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the one they call when something's on fire because you can't save them all. So this feels good right now to your ego. You like this? You are not going to like it when you don't save the next one mm-hmm. and everybody's disappointed in you. So do not fall prey. Do not let your insecurity make you crave that recognition. Just go be great. In that case, I was sales, but just go be a great salesperson. Right. And so that kind of mentoring, that helping me understand the bigger picture was incredibly valuable. That's such a, that's such a really good insight, like knowing that the need to help in that specific area was not so much a drive to be better, but really driven from a place of insecurity. Absolutely. And I see, I I see, yeah, I see it for me as an investor. Like I'm like, Hmm, is this guy, does this guy need my help more than this is a good business? (laughs) And I'm like, dude, what the fuck am I going to do to help this guy? You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm putting putting like a couple million bucks in. I don't like, am I really going to help him? You know, like, so it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to think that I need my ego stroke knowing that I can help him, you know, with his customer. What really drives you and drives like for me for investment, right? I'm slightly different in that I only invest my dollars, right? So, and and anytime I invest in something, I'm going to leave with my money. If my friends and people who followed me before want to come do it, great. But I'm going to leave where I'm exposed because that, that way it is just about, okay, do I believe in this? Do I believe in the team? What can I do when they need me? Those kind of things. It's tough, man. When when we look at prospective, you know, investments, funds, others, there's tons of ego, tons of ego out there. Unbelievable. And 
And well, and and I've seen, yeah, you know, I read your stuff and everything else. And, you know, some of the stuff, you know, talking about the difference between smart money and dumb money. And what's well, all relative, right? When you're the founder. Right. Because some people just need to believe in you. Right. They may not be smart money. They may not have all the connections that can get you board members or whatever. Now, there's are times that's super valuable. Like I'm I'm a fan of venture capital, but I do joke. They're all sharks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand, though, they're all sharks. So all you got to do, though, is no shark behavior. Exactly. There's tons of people to make a living swimming with sharks. Just don't surprise them. Don't make them hungry. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> don't no, yeah, don't, no sudden moves. Don't, don't put blood don't in front flail, of their face. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, yeah. so that's, you got it. Now, don't surprise them. And like, even if you got bad news, man, be quick. Pick up the phone right away. Hey, heads up, David. I want to give you, I got this challenge. Here's what my kind of plan is. Any thoughts from you? Okay. Yeah, bad news uh, first. Here's my plan of attack. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I think it was Colin Powell said, you know, it doesn't age like wine. Bad news is <laughs> it's not good. You better get it out quick. Right? So, Dell, what got you into wanting to do sales? Well, I, I mean, you can probably see my personality. I'm a little salesy. I'm naturally kind of that sales guy. Yeah, yeah I got to do that. <laughs> and, and by the way, my uh, we all have haters and stuff. They used to call me the used car salesman in the New Times and stuff. New Times never did, never has liked me very much. But so, you know, everybody thought I was kind of salesy. So I was already entrepreneurial. I'd worked for my entrepreneurship professor, again, wastewater treatment. But what he really did was hire me out to go do these family owned company business plans because he was the head of the entrepreneurship department. So I'd come to him and be like, hey, can we hire you to help us write a business plan? And he would just basically shop me out and I would go write them. And then I'd come back and work at the wastewater treatment place. And then I figured out, you know, if we don't raise money, I don't seem to get a paycheck. This is kind of hard and to, you know, start my life with uh, inconsistent payroll. So I thought, well, this computer stuff, I loved Austin. This Michael Dell guy, by the way, he was brand new. He just won like an ENY or entrepreneur of the year or something like that. I'm like, that sounds like something you could really make money at. Uh, I'm going to go do that. And because you know, I came from a world where I had to create all the marketing literature. I had to come up with the sales pitch. I had to come up with the value prop. Showing up there, it was like I had learned to ski on a double black diamond right right out of the gate. So now I show up and it's a blue and I'm like, this is easy. <laughs> you have a team? Yeah, uh, right. I push this button and it sends out marketing literature. I don't even have to go to the post office. This is, I don't have to print it myself. So... You know, then it was just like, oh, I loved it. You know, I didn't really know much about computers. Another lesson I learned along the way was uh, he, Michael Dell, and I, I did learn a ton from him. He's a great leader, but he held something called customer advocate meetings, CAM meetings every Friday. And he'd update, here's what's happening in the business. But then he would do things like, hey, listen, we had this secret shopper. Listen to this call. This is how we should be qualifying prospects and helping people define what they need. Well, it was me and I was there. So it brought me up on stage. Well, the irony was because I didn't know enough about computers. All my peers love computers. I'm like you need back then, by the way, David, it was like a 286 and we're right. moving to 386. And they were <laughs> like, you need this, you know, XPRL, Dell Dimension, whatever. I'm like, I don't know. Let me read this script. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do, Mr. Paul? Right. Do you do gaming or do you do spreadsheets? Right. And <laughs> I didn't know any better. 
right? But again, don't let the insecurity. What I really figured out is, you know what? The sales is not that hard. If you'll just ask people, what is it you really want? What is it? Tell me your top three. Like if I were just coming to you right now and I wanted to consult with you or help you or, you know, in, in your investment side, right? I would come to you and say, hey, David, what are your top three priorities this year? It doesn't matter what they are. Like, I, I'm not trying to say compared to what you think I can deliver. If I just said, what are your top three priorities? And one of them I can do something about, you're already going to like me more. You're mm-hmm. already going to be interested in what I have to talk about. But if I just show up and start telling you why adding a consultant or an advisor is a great thing to go do, you know, I'm, I'm into my sales pitch. Well, that's dumb. Right. Let me just ask you. what They, what they you weren't, they're not even qualified. You're speaking to a brick wall. Right. And how many of these people, right? How many salespeople do you know that need, you know, like they want to get through the whole presentation? By the way, even some of your prospective company leads, I've seen it now way too many times. They want to get through the whole deck and every page and every bullet item. Why? Right. If you've got an interested party in investing, if I want to go down a certain path, just let me go talk there. about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let and me then when, when they say I'm really interested, you should stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. exactly. what, what else do we need to do to yeah. have if i'm not right. making any comments on the slides that's probably a bad thing not a good thing right. that's right and so you know just learning those kind of things same kind of thing you can't let your insecurity get the better i used to joke all the time we were going to even have this was at lifelock mainly but when we were first raising money my cfo was like i'm going to get you a t-shirt made that says that's just the first note Mm-hmm. So what I meant by that was, okay, I'm telling you, here's LifeLock. We're going to be the leader in identity theft protection. Here's how we're going to grow direct to consumer. And you'd be like, hey, thanks, Todd. We're going to pass. Right? I mean, that's the normal line, right? We're going to pass. Doesn't fit our portfolio. Doesn't fit whatever. My answer would be, oh, David, thanks so much. Appreciate you considering. It. Will you do me one favor, just for me, help me, you know, uh, educate me? What was like the two or three things that just made it not work for you? Mm-hmm. What part did you not buy? What was red flags? What was concerning? Well, again, you would tell me something like, well, I don't believe that addressable market. I don't believe that margin profile. I don't believe those unit economics are real. Well, all I had to do was say, oh, David, I'm so glad you would share that with me because that's my fault. If I have not articulated that effectively enough, if I could address that addressable market or that unit economics issue and you got comfortable with it, you'd be interested. Well, inevitably, you're going to be like, well, yeah, it's okay. Well, when do you want me to, when do you want to get back together? Back then, we used to get together face to face. We didn't do Zooms. But Mm -hmm. okay, you want me there tomorrow or the day after, right? But that first no is just a conversation starter. Mm Mm-hmm. What is it you're concerned about? Let's dig into that, right? And but that takes, well, a no, like, yeah, a no is actually better than a yes in some situations. Like we say, yes sure. doesn't mean like a yes can mean like you know a, a yes maybe, right? Like an, yeah. which is bullshit. No, you're at least getting to the reason why, right? Well, I got to tell you, so a no, uh, can, a yes can be like yes, send me it, and then you never hear an email back. Well, yeah, and let's get started. You know, we'll start a diligence or we'll start negotiating, right? right. Who knows? I got to tell you a, a great story. So. David Cowan was my guy at Bessemer Venture Partners, right? That was our Series A in LifeLock. But so when we're getting things going, you know, we just kind of did friends and family. We're getting things off the ground. Well, the Bessemer folks, it wasn't David, like one of the frontline guys, right? Uh, the bag men, you know, I hooked up with and said, hey, David Cowan wants to talk to you about your business. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not flying out there. I'm not spending money to go out to Sand Hill Road 
Um, and in fact, what I thought was, well, I doubt we're going to take venture capital money at this stage, but this David Cowan guy is super smart, really respected. I'm going to pitch the business plan. And I want to understand it's free business consulting. Where are his concerns? Then I'll go work on that for a while. And then we'll come back and maybe do a deal down the road. But this is free consulting from a smart. Why, why, why not? Right. And so I'm like, okay, David, all right. You're afraid he's going to call your baby ugly? He's going to anyway, right? right? <laughs> so. so I'm like, so, you know, what? where are the red flags? Where, where are the areas of concern you might have as you're looking at this opportunity? And he goes, none. We want to invest. And I was like, uh, and by the way, again, I'm on the phone. We didn't do Zoom. I wouldn't fly out there. Um, okay, well, we got a little bit of a problem because I wasn't actually going to take any of your money. Right. <laughs> I just want <laughs> I just wanted you to <laughs> basically give me feedback on our yeah. plan. So we're still great friends. We still sit on a board together. Um, I won't bore everybody with the details. I you never, so you them, never took his money. He never. Oh, I took it. Okay. Uh, then he wanted to give me six and a half. And I'm like, oh, what's the least amount you'll give me and still do the deal? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so we, it, we made him a ton of money. We're great friends because of it. They say you're great friends when you make a lot of money. It works yeah. out well though. Yeah, yeah, for life. I friends for life. Friends. I got a lot more friends now. Than nice. That's a good place to be. So after Dell, let's jump into you know the idea of identity theft protection. You you did Dell. You did computers. You're exposed to technology, and you did a marketing company, right? Well, that's kind of how I got to the the idea of LifeLock. So uh, it was really about family. They I had a brother in law at the time who wanted to be an IndyCar driver. And so they're like, hey, help us get him sponsors. And I'm like, well, as family, I love you, but I'm not going to represent a single driver. That's like having one asset. That seems dumb. I'm going to go create a whole marketing company. I'll help all the companies who already have the money place it in a good spot. And hopefully some of that will land you know, with our my brother-in-law. So that's what I really did to start it. And so I would see all kinds of companies, all kinds of business stuff. So it really... And I really used to lead all the meetings like I just shared with you earlier. What are your top three objectives? Don't worry about motorsports. Don't worry about what sponsorships do. What are you trying to go do? And so it was amazing when you did that because you'd have IndyCar owners and give money to a company who's trying to raise money who would then put part of it back in sponsorship because the IndyCar owner is like, well, I was going to have to fund my race team this weekend anyway. If I can own some equity in something, and still fund my team, That's a, I got a chance to get that money back. Yeah. So it was amazing the kind of deals we put together. And so I had a bunch of big things. Creative. Like Very. And and we mapped, we moved excess inventory. We were, I mean, you name it. Uh, we did all kinds of crazy deals. But so one of them, the folks, the co-founder of LifeLock. But to, but to, to, but to do that, like to, to really understand and get those intricate types of deals, you have to build like a level of trust of, and, you know, and relationship and rapport with these people that is like, oh, yeah. it's, it's even beyond enterprise sales. It's just like, okay, like tell me everything about your business. Let me see how Correct. I can slice value in there and then we Correct. can work together. But again, I got to tell you, once you said, what's our top three? I could, I wouldn't always say, and I never made promises I didn't think I could fulfill. Mm -hmm. I may say, well, I can't do anything about number one and number three, but number two, let me, let me dive in on that for a second. If we could do this, because think about what are most people? 
I want to increase revenue. I want to increase market share. I mean, that's right. Going to traditionally be, okay, well, if I can get you exposure, if I can get you more users, if I can, right, uh, mm-hmm. expand your distribution network, all right? Okay. Then here's how we go do that. By the way, there's hotel owners that are part of, you know, paying. We'll get them in your hotels. That's how you did it. And once you could start saying, I have a chance to solve your problem, I'm no longer selling you anything. Now we're in it together, right? So what happened with the co-founder? He came and he said, hey, we got this idea. They were going to call it ID Lock. They were going to sell it over the telephone, which I said, that's a problem. Let me get this straight. You're going to call David and say, hey, David, you worried about identity theft? Like, yeah. Okay, well, I know you've never heard of us, but if you'll give me your name, address, birth date, social security number, and credit card, we're going to protect you. And you sound like the criminal calling. If no one knows your brand, right. this is no. never yeah. going to work. Yeah, that's, a, that that's, their, that's immediate hang up. Right. And so that was their original strategy. So I literally told them, I can't help you. Like that, I don't agree with how you're trying to go build this. So which, uh, was all, who was that? This was the co-founder. This is Robert Manor, the co-founder with and, me. And he wanted to do some kind of sponsorship with the race team. Well, all he really wanted was, so a lot of people came to me just say, help our business. Got it. Right. It just happened to be that I did motorsports sponsorships as one of the vehicles, but we did a bunch of just kind of business deals, marketing deals. Mm-hmm. So he was just saying, help me. Right. And I said, okay, I can't really help you. The guy backing you, and I won't use names, but the guy backing them at the time was a single investor, but had been convicted of bank fraud. <laughs> I'm like, you can't have an identity theft <laughs> Not a good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, this isn't going to work. I tried to work out buying it uh, from him. We never really got there. And I just told him one day, if I don't have this deal term signed by five o'clock Friday, on Monday, you're going to have a new competitor. In the Interesting. Space. So was this, this was obviously, what year was this? So let's say we started in what, 2005. So this would be 2004. That's uh, when it all started. Was this the kind of the genesis of identity or the, the start of identity? Oh, theft? yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And like who was out, who was in the space at the time? I mean, you've never heard of them now. Debix and, and Trusted ID were the other two that were getting venture capital funded when we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little further down this path. LifeLock had then been started. You know, I talked to Cowan. We were getting our Series A right when the other two were getting uh, funded by Austin Ventures and Draper Fisher, Jefferson, DFJ. Yep. Um, so I think all of us kind of got right around five million right at the same time. But the difference was uh, we knew that the decisive point, and I talk in decisive points versus goals. We had all kinds of goals, revenue growth, you know, all that, which are important. By the way, I don't want mm-hmm. any entrepreneur or anybody else to act like that's not. But a decisive point is if you miss it, it's catastrophic to the business. If you do it, you're exponentially faster. To the goal. So what our thesis and my thesis at the time is, I said you have to go build the most trusted brand. You it, that is the most critical thing in identity theft protection in a brand new industry that has never existed. You have to go build the most trusted brand. So we're going to have to raise a lot of money, right, to go do that, and we're going to have to do things. By the way, I learned them from Dell Computer. Go do a guarantee. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, there was no such thing as guarantees in computers. He did it. We did a guarantee. So back then, the most you could get uh, protection was Amex said they'd cover you up to $5,000 on the Amex, nothing else. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we've done our homework, right? We've done, let's go say a million bucks. Because there's only been like one instance ever that someone was hit for a million bucks. 
Why not? Right. And and most people are going to say, well, I'm not even worth a million dollars. Right. Okay, great. So I'm going to shake you. I'm going to rally you. Now, I also caught lightning in a bottle. We're Wait, gonna... so let's, let, let's go back to this. So you get this idea. You're talking to yep. this guy. They say, they, you know, you're, you're trying to negotiate a deal where you can buy it from him. What about identity theft protection really got you going? Because obviously you're seeing a lot of deals. There's a lot of opportunity oh, yeah. out there. Why did, why is this one something you wanted to run down? Because most of the time, even the stuff you look at, right, and we both look at on deal flow is uh, an improved widget, an improved mousetrap. It's a, right? right. I mean, we talk about a lot of disruptive things, but disruptive things are like, you know, really disruptive, right? Internet, Uber and its concept, you know, these things are much more disruptive. There are very few times you get to define a category, an industry, mm-hmm. right? And so that is incredibly rare. So just, again, a little bit of that, you got to understand your own person. The audacious challenge of that appeals to my ego, appeals to my you know, desire to go do impressive things. So I'm like, man, we could go literally define a category. That would be incredible. How many chances do you get to go do that? Right. And so, and we believe we know how to go do it. Go get share a voice, go be the brand leader. That's how you'll do it. You know, so, so you cut. sell, the, you sell the guy and you say, if he doesn't sell you the company, you're going to be a competitor by Monday. And I'm a competitor by Monday. I had, uh, I had our lawyers, it's not enforceable, but I had them send them a letter on Monday saying, we're starting a company called LifeLock. They were called IDLock. We're starting a company called LifeLock. If you think you got a claim, you should make it. <laughs> of course, you can't enforce that. But I wanted a, a track record where I could say later, ah, I told them. Yeah. You know, right. You know, so we started it. Uh, you know, We knew, again, what's the best way to build credibility, public relations. Because even buying an ad, people are skeptical. Like even if we didn't have money for a commercial, I couldn't buy advertising, right? I'm literally funding everything, you know, hand to mouth. And I had no money back then, just to be clear. Like, I mean, maybe I was okay, but not much money. There were, I was not well off. I wasn't financially secure, right? I'm funding. We're getting it going. We're like, we got to go be credible. Well, the best way to do that is to be on the news. Because if they'll do a story on you, then they pop up and they'll be like, this is Todd Davis, CEO of LifeLock. Well, they're like, oh, I've never heard of that, but it must be a real company is on the news. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. There was only six to 10 of us, you know, back in this place in Chandler, right? Working in an industrial <laughs> uh, park <laughs> as an office, right? With coffee tables and shit. Right. So I would do PR anywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere I could. And we do stories. Identity theft was a big topic, right? So, you know, we could get a lot of coverage. And then there was one day where, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Seth Godwin, uh, you know, Purple Cow. Like, how do I get people, how do I shake them up? What, what is the disruptive thing I can do? We had thought the million dollar guarantee, in which it did work. It got us press and stories and features and those kind of things. But I'm going to be on CNBC for the second time. That's what I got to get people to ring the phones. That's how we were making payroll, right? Get people to subscribe. There was only one product, 10 bucks a month. It was completely period. B2C at that time. Completely. Right. right? So that's a lot of that's a lot of ten dollar subscriptions you needed. A lot of ten dollars <laughs> needed, right? I am literally and I talked to to uh, Maynard about it, but I while we're sitting in the, the studio, I'm like, 
I know what, what I should do is do what everybody says don't do and give out my social security number. And so I pick up back then it was a, what was the old, uh, they just, they just went under, what was the square one, but whatever on Blackberry or whatever. Right. So I pick it up and I got the earpiece and I'm in the little, you know, phone booth studio here in Arizona that looks like Camelback mountains behind you, but you're really in a you know broom closet. Mm-hmm. And I'm picking up my phone like, Hey, what happens if I give out my social security number and the control rooms in my ear losing their mind? <laughs> Mr. Davis, please put down the phone seven minutes to air. I'm like, okay, hold on one second. Yeah. And, and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Hey, I don't have time to listen. You know, what are the unintended consequences? Right. So at least I thought through well enough to think what, what happens if, and part of it, they said, cause everybody remembers, I dared everybody to steal my identity. Right. I didn't actually. All I said was, I'm so confident. Here's my real social. The reason I said it that way is because they told me you can't challenge someone to steal your identity or you'd be soliciting a felony and you can be charged. Oh, OK. Well, that's good to know. Okay. Got it. Logged yeah. it in. Never, never challenged anyone to steal it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, look, we were super rudimentary back then. Right. And by the way, the other guys were all focused on investing in technology. Uh uh-uh. We were as elegantly simple as we could possibly be. It was just about building brand and getting critical mass, right? So we were investing all the money in that side of the world, not in the tech stack and all the stuff, you know, at the time. I tried to give it on air. They wouldn't let me. Okay. When I would used to be finished after doing any of the public relations, any of the PR, I would literally go out, sit in my rent car if I was out of town or wherever. I had a laptop. You remember those old CDPD cards with an antenna? Like you pull it out and you put it in the slot. And I would literally call my guys and say, light me up. That meant put my cell phone on the call dialer, call tree. So when they call 1-800-LIFELOCK, it just goes to the next available number, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I knew, okay, if they hear me say, hello, this is Todd David. And they're going to be like, wait, the guy I just saw on television? Like, how's that? Like, that's not big time, right? Right. So I was never dishonest. My full name's Richard Todd Davis. Okay, there you so go. So I would do what I called radio voice, and I would answer the phone. I go, "Thank you for calling LifeLock. This is Richard. How may I help you?" <laughs> and I sat there and would just enroll people. Yeah. Right? And by the way, enrollment—it's not like we had a CRM. We were literally just typing it into our own website enrollment form right. for them over the phone. Right. That was just it. That just, was just taking down credit card numbers. Rich- so we signed up, get this, over 20% of their entire viewing audience over the next 72 hours. And what, what, so what, you weren't allowed to do the actual give out your social. I just said I would. I tried to do it. And the guy, uh, Mark, I forget his last name. He's passed away since then. But he was like, no, 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 Mr. Davis, please don't do that. I was like, no, I'm serious. I will right now give you my real <laughs> social security number on the air. <laughs> And so I'm this is like, live. Oh, They're yeah. filming this. You're oh, getting yeah. adamant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I love and it. And of course, when he said no, it's kind of like, you know, back in high school when you were tough and your friends were holding you back from a fight, you really acted like you were tough. Correct. Because you knew I'm probably not going to have to get in a fight. Exactly. Well, I was like, what do you mean? No, I'll do it right now. And I'm like getting <laughs> up in the camera go, right now on the air. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 Mr. Davis, please don't do that. Please. Let's get back to talk about that. Okay. Right. And then he finishes and I hear him in the earpiece. He's like, turns to the co-host. He's like, man, I thought that guy was really going to do it. Give us mm-hmm. real social security. Dude, it was literally with that lit the match of this rocket ship that I rode for the next 12 years. Mm-hmm. It was 
So they only have at any given time 200 and something thousand, you know, viewers. Uh, people think their CNBC is bigger, but it's really not. 40 something thousand, but at 10 bucks a month, that's $400,000 a month coming in from that one episode. That, I mean, how big, so how big were you at the time when you did that? Oh, that like almost probably over doubled, easily over doubled. I mean, it was, we probably only had 12 to 15,000 before that. Okay. So you were, so you were, yeah. So you were like, Oh, so you you Jeez. talked your way into CNBC from being a small yep. company. Yep. They got on the air and you doubled your company size. Correct. Awesome. Right. And so then, of course, then Bessemer's in and I'm like, we're using, we're creating ads with me giving out my social security number. and, and <laughs> That's just, when it fully, you just fully just put out social security ads. A hundred percent. And that's when those other two that you've never heard of. And I became friends with the the CEOs, right? I mean, we were in it together, we'd be at conferences and stuff. But one of them said to me one day, he goes, man, I felt like we were in a, a boat race, but we're in sailboats and you're in a cigarette boat. We never saw you again. Like we all started, we all got funded at the same time. It was like, ready, set, go. Here's 5 million in venture capital. And we never saw you again. Right. Like, you were just gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, once we had the thesis, once we believed, that's what I mean about decisive points. Once you have absolute clarity. Like if we don't have trusted brand, we got nothing. No one's going to give us their social. No one's going to believe we can protect them, right? We would have been dead. Mm-hmm. Or if the other guys had built it first, you know, you you don't go around saying, well, you hand me a facial tissue. You say, hand me a Kleenex. You don't call it whoever number two or number three brand is. You call it a Kleenex, right? So we Google something, even, even though Google does have the market share, but right? That was our, and that's what I told everybody. I gave everybody shares in the company. Call center employees, it didn't matter. I gave everybody shares. Yeah, in the and company. during the recession, that that you got some flack for that, right? <laughs> it did. So, uh, well, of course, you know, venture capitalists like all good venture capitalists. Okay, we see a big trend. Everything's pulling back. Every go, everybody goes. Into yeah, who are you firing? Capital. Right. <laughs> preserve capital. Yep. So I get the phone call. Well, there was two elements of this, right? So first there was a phone call. Uh, you need to cut 10% of your workforce. And by the way, if you remember at the 08 time when it was crashing and everything, uh, Lehman's going under and all that, it was October of 2008, right? So I'm telling them, okay, look, I hear you. I got you. Preserve capital. But how did you come up with 10%? Well, everybody has excess you know, weight, blah, 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 dead weight on there. So, okay, but listen, we have seasonality. Because back then, whatever advertising we could buy, we bought it after the fourth quarter when it's dramatically cheaper. After Christmas, by the way, then it was Olympics. And so every in elections, everything's cheaper in January, right? After the holiday season. So that's when we used to really buy up media. So we had created a seasonality to our enrollments, right? So January was big. And New Year's resolution, I should protect myself, do better right. things, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying to them, look, I'm going to go cut part of this call center staff and then need them back in January? Like, is this seriously? And I won't say who, but a person said, yeah, but talk, where are they going to go? Like they're, everybody's cutting. There's not going to be jobs. I said, well, you may be right. We would keep their, I could, I probably could get their bodies back here, mm-hmm. but I will have lost their hearts and minds. I, I'm sorry. I, if, 
if it's just a blanket, I got 10% staff, you got the wrong guy running the company, you should get rid of me. Mm -hmm. You should make me part of the group. And he was like, calm down. You're a drama queen. Like easy. Yeah. Well, because keep in mind now what helped me, not everybody can pull this off, but we grew for 44 consecutive quarters. So during mm -hmm. that recession, we grew every quarter over quarter. We were bigger than the quarter prior in, you know, total number of members is what we call them versus customers and, you know, revenue. I mean, it, we grew 44, so 12 straight years, every quarter we grew over the previous quarter. So a recession hits, they're like, you should cut. I'm like, we're growing. Mm -hmm. I'm hitting more revenue. I've got more members than I did before. Would you guys relax? I kind of tricked them into letting me be at Tempe Town Lake because they're all in California and they were like, quit looking for a space. I'm like, okay. And then I said, well, look, it's only 25 bucks a square foot. And they're like, oh, okay. That's, that's, yeah, nice. that's reasonable. I didn't tell them it wasn't, that, oh, it's still a space. I didn't listen right. to you on that part. But. <laughs> it's Arizona A. And the same thing for equity. We would give uh, stock options and, and people could earn equity over time. And again, one of my uh, venture capital investors had said, hey, part of these people don't even understand the value of a stock option. So why are you giving it to them? Mm -hmm. But my response was, well, you're right. There's probably half that don't. The answer isn't quit giving it to them. The answer is go educate them mm -hmm. so that we can. And so our retention in a call center was just ridiculous compared to the industry. Mm -hmm. right? And, and you know, a lot of people talk about you can make an investment in people. And, and I will say I see it now on multiple fronts. People say that on one side, but they won't actually do it. Or when things get tough, that's the budget they cut first and HR and you know, all these kind of things. We weathered regulatory issues with the FTC. I had to go on the Today Show with Matt Lauer when he was before he got you know canceled. But to defend LifeLock and my quote identity being stolen, where I'm like, you guys know I gave out my social on television. Like back then, you could Google search it and you get a hundred thousand. Results. Is that still like, your social, like, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you don't get a new one. Like you can't like. Well, like if things really were bad, but the irony is like LifeLock would just clean it up. I mean, well, right. and by the way, once once you're kind of on it, all the services are like, don't open shit for this guy. I mean, it, everybody's using it. No right. one's applying for 5,000 credit cards a year. Right. Exactly. So I, I did joke. There's a flywheel that, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and think about if you, you and think about it. if you didn't give your social security out, how protect, how protected your identity would be. Right. Yeah. Well, and then the joke was, you know, they're like, "Do you regret doing it?" And I'm like, "No, because I I can live on cash. It's okay now. We yeah, we were so now. successful because of it. Right. No, I have no regret. Other than I picked a fight with the FTC, and I didn't know I was rubbing them wrong. Mm -hmm. They really saw me as a gunslinging. You know, I was in Arizona, but they see heard me as a Texas gunslinging. You know. Entrepreneur above you know, the getting law. people's yeah. well and getting people's data and somehow I was making money on people's personal information, you know. So I had to fight with them sometimes. Like I'm doing, we, we care more about protecting them than anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm telling them to take action. How are you mad at us? Right. Like and so we worked our way through it. Right. It was, they never loved me very much, but sorry. Go in public. Tell me about that. Yeah. So no regrets. Again, people. I mean, it's hard. You got to know what you're getting into. Like uh, when you're in the process or thinking about it here all the time, it's not an exit. It's a beginning. That is true. For us, it was no brainer. It wasn't just capital. I mean, it wasn't like we were desperate for capital. 
But our challenge was I was fighting against, our team was fighting against the credit bureaus who are multi-billion dollar year companies, right, in revenue. And so they would go out as we were trying to get these distribution channels, employee benefits and these kind of things versus direct to consumer. And they tell the big employers, well, you know, LifeLux left to go out of business. They're out of money. Well, there was no way, like, really, like, we hear you're about to run out of money. I'm like, no. By going public, it basically just wiped all that out. I can withstand the scrutiny. Our company can withstand the scrutiny of being a publicly traded instant credibility, right, on that commercial side of the sales side. The hardest part, now they had me well-trained, was just the hardest part as an entrepreneur. So I've been, you know, I'm kind of rare founder, CEO, entrepreneur from day one, venture capital, survive that, then public company CEO. It's not a whole lot of folks who make it through all those. Yeah, that's a, that's a know, very small, small percentage of people that make it yeah. that far. And I think the the main reason, you know, I could do it is because I was okay. Again, ego, like, let it go. All right, what am I supposed to do? My role, my responsibility to my, and I love my employees. Like, I, we had great people. Okay, my responsibility to them is that don't go be the salesy pitch guy that gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Don't go make forward-looking statements. I mean, so I used to be trained. I used to tell them, tell me the third rail stuff. What can I not touch? What can I not say? Mm-hmm. Okay, now from there, okay, I'll work through it. I get the, I get the game. Beat and raise. Got it. Got to be ultra conservative. Got it. It wasn't fun because what a guy like me wants to tell is the dream. Right. The picture. Go be big. We're going to be the best. We're going to yeah. be the number one. Okay, well, now I have to be like, we're really confident in our operations <laughs> and expansion, EPS. Yeah. And that's not fun to talk about. Well, and and by the way, honestly, um, and some of the analysts that you'd meet were like, you're like, have you ever run anything? Like, (laughs) I know you can do a spreadsheet. Clearly you can run a model, but have you ever, I literally had one, one time, David, we had, I don't know at the time, Probably almost 2 million uh, subscribers. Okay. So paying subscribers. Okay. He goes, why wouldn't you just give it away for free? You could get a lot more subscribers. I said, okay, well, that's true. I'm sure that's true. Then what do you need to do? Mm-hmm. Monetize them. Right. <laughs> so now instead of me saying my churn rate is a low single digit percentage every year, I'm going to look like all these people who are losing, you know, 20, 30, 40% of their install base because they're trying to convert them to pain. My ARPU goes, why the hell would yeah. I? And you didn't sell your investors on that, by the way, either. Right. Well, and I'm like, except that we already mastered monetizing them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> why, <laughs> exactly. Why don't I go ahead and just stick with that? And, you know, because by the way, then they're committed. They're, they made the, they gave you the credit card number. They gave you your social. They made you got a bomb. You got to mess it up, right? Mm-hmm. At that point. So yes, one of the reasons our retention was so high because we ask a lot to become a member, right? But I'm telling the guy, why would I go make the bar so low that I lose most of them? Right. That makes no sense to me. So, but I'm looking at them, and of course, you have to be nice. Like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, but let me think that through for a second. Whereas, of course, the way I want to say it is, are you kidding me? Yeah. Why the hell would I, you know, but you, can't. you could Joe Biden it and call him a stupid son of a bitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, try, 
Trust me, I'm glad when he left, I'm glad there wasn't a hot mic on. Right. Sure there was a few times. <laughs> exactly. I would have gotten in trouble. Right. Yeah. So so when did you know it was time to to step aside at, at big old LifeLock? Yeah. So um, before we went public, because one, I knew, I knew it was going to be a challenge. You know, they were willing to give me the opportunity to go take the company public as a CEO, but I knew, okay, I've not done this. I, I, I will give my best effort, but maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not the guy somewhere down the road. So I also knew I need to go hire my successor before we go public, because once we're public, if I come in and hire a president and everybody's going to be like, what's wrong? Right. Why are they bringing this person in now? You know, why didn't they promote somebody else? Whatever. So I was super lucky to be able to go track Hillary Schneider. She was actually had been recommended by Kleiner Perkins for board member. And like she met with me one time. It's like, I don't see any intellectual property. Like you really don't have any IP. And this was like a year and a half or so earlier. Well, then I acquired IP through some acquisitions and I showed back up and I said, okay, look at this. <laughs> what are the look three things you're challenged exactly. with? <laughs> Take this job. Yeah. Didn't you say something about the intellectual property? Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> Let me help you with these three things. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just a huge fan of hers. And so then, and it was supposed to be a conversation about being a board member. And I said, but come on, Hillary, you need to just, you need to come do this with me. Like, come be my president, come be my future successor. Let's go do this together. And we had only met a couple of few times, but instant uh, chemistry from a, she is way more detail oriented. I'm way more salesy. And, you know, I mean, she's a great strategic thinker, but um, she used to compare us to, to, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Carol Sandberg, who, of course, she's from Silicon Valley, knows all those people and all that kind of stuff. Right. I'm like, well, you may be Cheryl Sandberg, but I'm no, I'm not nearly as smart as Mark Zuckerberg, but I appreciate the compliment and I'll, I'll stick in the role. Nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I knew then that at some point, right, I'd want to transition out because I got to tell you, it's, I mean, the grind of leading a company for even a decade, you know, right through the ups and downs. Again, I, everybody can talk about, they love it. I love going to work every day. I call bullshit. It's hard. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I have twin boys uh, that are now about to be 18. Dude, for the first 12 years of their life, I started LifeLock. I have twin when girls. Did, did, we, did we talk about that? I have twin boys and a, a now a, a girl that's seven, but my twin boys are 18. No, but I have eight. twin girls. So Oh, you do? Yeah, I didn't know that. Maybe that's my girls well. could be your boy's second wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> we could do like an arranged be, marriage. Be careful. You better you better beat my boys first. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and by the way, I'm an identical twin. Are you really? So okay. We almost used him in a television ad. That'd be awesome. So he was he was going to show up and be like, if I can't steal his identity, nobody can. But I was already kind of in a fight with the FTC, and I'm like, they hate. By the way, they hated I gave out my social. I'm sure hated it. And I'm like, why? I like, did I break a rule? They're like, no, but you're making it. People think they can just give it out. I'm like, no, no, I'm the only idiot that's going to do that. <laughs> Right. But by the way, I'm going to remind them, but you did give it to the government, your school insurance. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what are you doing about it? But so we were going to use it there, but then um, I didn't want to poke the bear of the regulator. So we never put him in. But yeah. So, you know, after 12 years, I mean, it's just, as you know, nonstop there, there's no work week. 
there's no hours. There's no, um, I saw your deal about even trying to put your phone away, you know, at dinner mm-hmm. and what they can do. There's no effing way for the first decade I would have even considered mm-hmm. not having that phone right by me. And so, you know, thank goodness I could finish in time where they were still young enough that I could build a real relationship. So we're all super close. But that was really my objective as I said, okay, quit defining yourself as the CEO of LifeLock. Quit defining yourself as a public company CEO. Don't let that be what, again, think of it, insecurity versus security. Don't let that be what defines me. Don't let that be the measure. I'm proud of what I've done. I'm super happy with the experience. But I got to be able to walk away and go be the best dad and husband I can be. My first marriage had failed because I was just relentless, right, on the on the work side of things. Sure. So it was just the ability to say, you know, walk away. By the way, I used to joke, I used to think, hey, I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job for a working dad and making time and all these kind of things. I was terrible. I didn't understand how much work. I didn't understand how incredibly impatient. So when you're used to being the CEO, when I asked them I'd do something, they're like, okay. Yeah. And I get to do it. When I'd walk into my eight-year-old boys and be like, hey, let's get the homework done, boys. Yeah. Like in five seconds, I'm like, hey, what did I say? And they're like, what's wrong with this guy? I know. Like, what is taking you so long? It's been eight seconds. Yeah. Move. You know? I get so laughed at when I try to like command any you know, authority in my house. They're like, okay, fucko. You know, right, <laughs> like, yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's, okay, big shot. Yeah, exactly. Well, my wife now would, you know, I'd come in and, you know, big day, big shot or whatever it would be. And she'd be like, that's really great. Take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Game. Yeah. That's right. right. Now, now you get trash duty. So yeah. get after it. So yeah. my ability, I knew I would want to get there. Um, I was, Kind of had put it in the plan in the works for a couple of years even beforehand, but then we had to get through this, you know, last regulatory. I didn't want her, I wanted Hillary to be able to inherit, you know, just free and clear running. And so, you know, I wanted to be there. So again, when the last time I negotiated with the FTC, if they needed to shoot somebody, I was going to make myself available to be shot. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't have to. We worked it out. And so we weathered another hard one so we could do it on our own terms. But um I was very happy. I moved to executive chairman right first. So that's still working every day, but you're not, right. I don't have the, the cruddy work, ops reviews, budget performance reviews, all that kind of stuff. That's junk. generally the path for founder CEOs, right? Just right? do the executive sure. chairman thing for a while. Correct. And then of course, but through that process, it pretty much went right into running a process because we had an activist investor. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically working a process and, and selling the company to Symantec at the time. Now it's Norton. But so how? So, uh, yeah. So how did? How long did you last in retirement before Cadenwood? And what? Tell mm, tell the audience a little bit about what that was about and what got you excited there. Yeah. So I will say. Well, I started making some investments even before the first year, even though I told everyone I was saying no. Uh, but then you know from there, uh, one of my top. Uh, consumer marketers at LifeLock, great guy named Eric Dickens. He and a guy I used to try to hire, I tried to hire him twice at LifeLock. He had been at Dial Hinkle, had been uh, this Eric Dickens guy's boss, 
they had then gone off and one had started or one had started, Doug Weeks had started pour water. So, you know, the water with the alkalinity and the big blue top. And Eric had gone from LifeLock to King's Hawaiian Bread and like grown them. They were 45-year-old family-owned company. He'd grown them from like 180 million to almost half a billion from one country to 17 in, in uh, five years. And was named like top CMO of the world by Forbes on this. So they came to me and they said, hey, we know you're coming. We just want your advice. That's right. all we want. Just, yeah, we just want feedback. you to take a look. Give us some feedback, just right? Give us feedback, yeah. So they showed me this and they're like, it's CBD. I didn't even know what it was. Um, they explained the farm bill. And they basically are like, so it would be building a brand leader product in a category that doesn't really exist. And the big guys, you know, Kraft and Procter & Gamble and all these guys can't play yet because there's not regulatory clarity. So we don't. And it's a brand that people don't trust. It's related to pot and super new, correct? Yeah. So super new and very confusing. All this. I said, so let me get this straight. You guys want us to go try to build a brand again, like Eric, you and I have done with LifeLock. When the big guys can't get in, and you two can sell prison rations, bread right. and water, right? Like, okay, I, I'm in. I can't help it. The gravitational pull. <laughs> but at first, I was like, okay, I'll put in money. We'll raise ten million. I'll be two million of it. Right. But I'm not sitting on the board. I'm already on too many boards, as you alluded to in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, we're oversubscribing to 15. I'm 3 million and I'm chairman of the board now. I'm up to 10 million into it and I'm executive chairman and I'm loving it. And we're doing exactly what we want to go do. Again, the decisive point is going to be the most attractive CBD company on the planet. In less than three years, we'll be in 26,000 store doors this year, more than any other CBD player. We've done some acquisitions. We've been very aggressive just because we know we have to hit, you know, you got to be by the time mergers and acquisitions start, by the time the big guys and multinationals start, you know, buying market share and getting in, you better be the most attractive. And how how is navigating the finance stack there? Um, Are you running against any type of resistance as far as investors getting into this? It's, It's sin, but it's not sin. Yeah, so a little bit on some of the LPs who are just, again, they lump CBD in with cannabis and marijuana and THC and everything else. So there is a little bit of that. But the real answer is it's really been primarily my network of people who made a bunch of money at LifeLock. So again, when I tell them, here's what we're going to go do, I'm going to be actively involved. I'm leading with my money. So we've raised, you know, roughly now, see, about 65 million in the deal on 10 of it. Some of it was media. So we got some deals with Discovery Networks and, and Sinclair. They got equity for media, but that's how you go build share of voice, right? We're going to dominate the whole category. And so that part hasn't been that challenging. Some of the institutional guys are kind of sitting on the sideline. Uh, they're taking more of a look. The challenge is everybody wants to say like, well, when does the regulatory clarity come? Mm-hmm. I'm like, we have no idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what's I don't that's know. the risk, but, <laughs> you know, that's right. Right. And, but then of course I joke, they say, well, we want to see that I think first. And then I joke a little bit, well, that's great, but then I won't need you. Right. I mean, once that happens, then, you know, we're, we're already wherever we're going to be. You can get banked at at that point. Well, and, and I intend, I mean, we could go public. I'll leave all options open, but the history would tell you people are going to buy market share. So, you know, we have a pet division. It, we did everything as up and spoke. We'll sell the pain topical business. We'll sell the consumables. We'll sell the pet business. We'll sell the, you know, 
kind of call it raw material side, you know, to a bioscience side, to an ADM or someone like that. So we already know how it exits. We already know how it ends. So once you kind of know that, again, you can be really confident in making aggressive decisions. Mm-hmm. I just don't know when it happens, but I know what, I know how it ends. I just don't know when. So it, it almost makes it easy, you know, both from a making investments, putting in the money, you know, those kind of things. Cause uh, it's not a, Oh, what if we make this acquisition and it doesn't matter or there isn't a buyer later? There will be. Mm-hmm. Big enough. So, yeah. 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 So that's, it's been great. I love it. I figure we'll see some kind of clarity in the next couple of years. That's what I'm guessing. I'm, I'm going to have us ready by the second half of this year that if the processes started for Corp Dev, we'd be ready. But I figure we got a couple more years. So we're just going to just laser focus on execution now. Execute, execute, execute. That's it. Todd, it's been awesome having you on the show. What's the one thing you would tell entrepreneurs to get past that level of insecurity that they might have to kind of push through and 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 do what they need to do to be super clear? Yeah, so it's really self-reflection, right? Be honest with yourself. You know when you're letting your insecurity get the better of you. You know when you're either convincing yourself you're not listening to that voice, you're you're saying yes or no to something, even though you know, in your gut, you know, that's probably not the right way. Or you're you're unwilling to listen to the criticism. You know, if you're putting up that big old fight, is it really just because you're scared or you don't believe it? Like you can fight like hell if you don't believe what they're saying. But if it's just because you're scared, right? The other biggest way you know if you have insecurity is if there is that moment, like let's say you were looking to invest in me. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I haven't gotten your answer yet. If you're if they're scared to call you and say, give me an answer. Right, because the answer might be no, dude. You're letting your insecurity get the better of you. Interesting. Right? Don't, some of them just want to keep it going because then they're convincing themselves. I got all these people looking at me. David may invest in us, mm-hmm. right? But I, I have a call. I don't want to. You know, I'll, I'll wait till he calls me. I'll, you know, don't be timid. Ask for the sale. Ask for the investment. Ask for it. Accept the no. If the answer is no. I mean, maybe you know, like you said, work it. But don't be afraid of the no. I have seen so many people are like, look at all these opportunities I've got in front of me. Mm-hmm. So why, why the hell aren't you closing them? Where, where is the close? And they're like, oh, you know, we're waiting. They're getting back. They got the. You're scared to ask. Right. And that's a sign of insecurity. Don't be scared. Ask. Get your answer and deal with it. Because ironically, if you don't be scared, you're going to get a lot more yeses. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you fail to ask, you ask to fail. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> Todd, thanks so much for having me on the show and hopefully we'll get you back on and uh, down the road. Thanks, brother. Great. Keep watching your stuff. You're great. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.